0: because I've discovered one thing that the vast majority of Americans agree with. There's not a lot these days, but there's one thing that I think the vast majority of Americans agree with, and that is we don't want to smell bad. Right? We don't want to smell bad. Think about the routines you go through in the morning, at least I think most of you. Probably similar to mine, right? We shower because we want to, you know, be clean. But we also, you know, I put shampoo in my hair, and the shampoo in my hair has a fragrance. And I lather up with soap, and the soap has a fragrance. I shave with shaving cream that has a fragrance. I brush my teeth with toothpaste that has a fragrance. I even go the extra mile and gargle or, you know, slush some that... uh, What's it called? that yes mouthwash just to make sure right all of that so I don't smell offensive to people around me we care about what we smell like the clothes that I wear are thrown into a washing machine with soap that has a fragrance even in the dryer you have those dryer um, sheets I, I got it I was on that one the dryer sheets, and those have a fragrance. So I have no idea what I smell like, but I know I don't smell bad. I think I smell minty fresh, right? We don't want to smell. Smell, fragrance, are powerful. Our sense of smell is a powerful thing. Anytime I smell cinnamon bread being toasted, I am teleported back 50 years and I am standing at 78 Main Avenue in the kitchen of Grandma Bill's making breakfast because that's what she did. She would make cinnamon raisin toast. And so when I smell that, man, it takes me right back there. We even have therapies, aroma therapies, because of the strength, the power of aroma physiologically, psychologically, to bring about some comfort and some healing to folks. The sense of smell is powerful. And it's so powerful that we even created this idiomatic phrase that you are probably familiar with, and that is, does it pass the smell test? Does it pass the smell test? So, I actually looked that up and found the definition, a great definition for the smell test. It says this it's an informal method of determining whether one's. uh, Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Let me try that again. An informal way for determining whether something is authentic, credible, or ethical by using one's common sense. Is it credible, authentic, ethical by one's common sense? And yet we refer to it as passing the smell test. We're in a series right now where we're talking about the church, the nature of the church. And we're looking at what Paul wrote to a church in the city of Ephesus, And so we're using that as our guide through this study of what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ? And what does it mean? What did it mean 2,000 years ago? What does it mean today in the exact same way? And so if you were here last week, you may recall that in that message, I talked about our relationship to each other as the body of Christ, that we are called to be in community together. We're not to live our faith independent of the community, independent of one another. And this is a countercultural thing in our age, that even those who are the most committed among us Christians are beginning to view church as optional. I'm not talking about just Sunday morning worship. I'm talking about being a part of a Christian community, seeing it as optional. And that's why the takeaway from last week was you won't grow if you don't show up. You won't grow if you don't show up. The whole idea that I bring gifts, God-given spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, and so forth that help you to grow. And you have been given, God-given gifts, talents, abilities, passions that help me and others here grow as well. And so it is by coming together, by joining together in community, that we help each other to grow. So that was last week. This week, we're going to be focusing our attention on what it means for us, together as a community of faith, to be in the world. Jesus said that we are to be salt and light to the world, that there's something about us together that can influence the world in a way that individually we wouldn't be able to do. So here's the takeaway for today. I'm going to tell you what it is up front, just so you know. Jesus is the smell test we want to pass. Jesus is the smell test that we want to pass. When the world looks at us, when people outside of the church look at us, look at what we do, look at how we behave, listen to how we talk, do we pass the smell test? Are we an authentic, um, living illustration, if you will, of the reality of Jesus to the world? And so for that, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to be pulling out a a couple of uh, passages from that chapter. Um, So we're going to start with uh, verses 1 and 2. So it's Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. The words are going to be on the screen, and I'm going to ask that we read this together because I like that. All right, here we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Okay, hold it. I want you to hear it the way that Paul intended it to sound. All right, so let me read it this time. Imitate God, therefore, in everything y'all do. Because yous are his dear children. So that's my southern and South Philly version of what Paul is saying. But the point is that when he used the word you, he was using the plural pronoun you, y'all, you together, us, we. It was plural. So it wasn't directed just to an individual. He was speaking to the church and saying, y'all be imitators of God because yous, are his beloved children. All right? That was worth stopping for, wasn't it? No? Okay. All right. Verse 2. Let's, again, let's, uh, let's read that together. Live a life that is filled with love. Now, if you were here last week, you may recall that I said anytime time you read the word love in the New Testament, you ought to push the pause button, you ought to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read about what love is according to the scriptures. Because here's the thing, friends, the church, we in the church talk a lot about love. We put love as a value and so forth. It really is the Christian ethic is love. So we talk about it. We esteem the ideas of love. But do we do love? You see, it's not enough to just say that it's important. It's not enough to just say that it's who we are and we value it and all of those good things. If we're not doing love, then we don't pass the smell test. So... Since I made the, uh, made the encouragement to do this, we can't pass this by. We're going to move to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You don't have to read the entire chapter to get the definition of what love is. Verses 4 through 7 really give us the description of what love does and what love does not do. Okay, So we're going to read this part together too because we're into that together thing. All right, so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Let's read it a little bit slowly because I, I want to marinate in this for a bit. All right, I want this to sink into uh, all of our intellectual pores. Let's read this together. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. That's the nature of love, right? And I need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. Because it's so easy, it's so natural to click over into unloving behavior. In my home, in my relationships with family and friends, and in the ways that I relate to the rest of the world. And so I need this constant reminder of the nature of love, so that my life as an individual and our lives together characterize our imitations of Christ. All right, back to Ephesians 1 and 2. So let's, let's do the whole thing together. I'm not going to stop us again. All right, so we're going to read uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 together. Here we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, Because you are his dear live a life filled with love following the example of Christ he loved us. A pleasing aroma to God. So isn't it interesting the idea of Jesus' sacrifice being an aroma to God. So it's Stating, or Going back to that idea of the sacrifice, you know, that when a sacrifice was made, an animal was sacrificed, taking on the sins of the population, that the sacrifice was often put on an, on an altar and burned, right? And the smoke from the sacrifice would go to heaven. And if it was a pleasing sacrifice to God, it was a pleasing aroma to him. So in this case, in Jesus' case, and in our case, it's not about a physical smoke going up that God is going to smell with nostrils. It is more about the motives, that our motives and our behavior are pleasing to God. That it's like this aroma. It's like God smelling cinnamon raisin toast. right? When our behavior is... Pleasing to him. Jesus passed God's smell test. His sacrifice on our behalf, his death on the cross that took your sin and my sin and made us acceptable to a holy God. That sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God. The things that he did on that altar. The sacrifice that he made. You know, part of the nature of love, and again, as you read those words in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, part of the nature of love is sacrifice. Genuine love, authentic love, always, always involves some level of sacrifice. Right? It's true in a marriage. You talk to a couple that have been in a healthy, long-term marriage If you go deeper into that conversation, you'll, you would hear examples of how each one made sacrifices for the other. Parents make sacrifices for their children. We make sacrifices for each other and for the world. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking around the building during the week and ran into a guy. We got into a little conversation, and he said, you know, I'm going to be going on the uh, youth mission trip again this summer. It's, um, I think he said, it's his third time going. And he said, you know what, I, I realized that I get to this point, so it's, it's now March, or it was March, and uh, I'm looking ahead to when we go in July, and I'm dreading it. He said, it, it, all I can think about is all of the sacrifice that's involved in this. I, you know, stuff that I have to get done that I'm not going to get done and all of the things that I've got going on and, and uh, you know, on and on. It, it's these sacrifices that, that I'm going to make. And he said, but I have to remind myself that each year that I've done this, as soon as I get in the van, all of that goes away. And I remember why I'm doing this. And the experience with the kids and serving people wherever it is that we go and serve, I'm reminded of why I'm here. And it's so worth it. And the week goes so fast. See, that's the thing about sacrifice. When you sacrifice motivated by love, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It may be, and it probably is, but it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, right? So do we pass the smell test, do you think? Do we as a congregation, does Hope Church pass the smell test with the world outside? And as I've been thinking about that, I've, I've thought of some examples of ways that I, I think we do. Not 100%, we're not perfect by any stretch, but I think there's some things that we do that help us pass that smell test, that we are doing sacrificial things out of love for God and compassion for the world that may pass the smell test. So we do these mission trips, right? So we send off uh, a middle school and a high school trip, and they go and they serve people, usually in areas that have been devastated by some kind of storm or um, are economically devastated. And for a week, they serve there, not only do work projects, and they really do work, but just caring for the people while they're there. I think that passes the smell test of living a life like Jesus would have us to live. We have a food pantry here. It serves not people in our... Sometimes uh, there's somebody in the congregation that's in need of that kind of support, and we're glad to do that. But the broader community... I think at this point we have about 50 families that we serve, over 250 people every week, and we're able to do that. The team that volunteers to do that food pantry every Wednesday is able to do that because of your generosity. Financial generosity and bringing in food. By the way, we don't talk about it enough, but that's our food collection station over there. And so as you're grocery shopping and you think about, you know, others... Throw a couple of things in the cart and drop it by here anytime during the week or on Sunday. Goes to the food pantry and it goes out the door usually by that Wednesday. That happens because of a little sacrifice that each of us makes and it sends out a message about the way that this church cares for people. Doesn't matter if they believe in Christ, it doesn't matter where they've come from or who they are, we're expressing the love of Christ to them. I think that passes the smell test. People ask me uh, all the time, how's Mount Laurel going? We have this new uh, worshiping congregation that we started a year ago in Mount Laurel, and people are asking how it's going. And the answer is, it's going great. It's going great. Because what's happening right now is that group of folks is in Mount Laurel there to serve others. And they've become known as a church that serves the community in a hundred simple kinds of ways. This past summer, they had some big event in town, and uh, we called and said, how can we help? And they said, we need parking lot attendants. And so we went out with, you know, Hope t-shirts on. It was hot. It was hot. Let me tell you, this was a sacrifice. It was hot out there, and, you know, just helping direct cars and so forth. Pastor Rick has developed great relationships with township employees and so forth just because we ask the question, how can we serve this community? I think that passes the smell test. I wasn't going to tell this story, but uh, somebody just this past week said, you know, you don't tell that story enough. Well, that's all I need to hear, and I'm going to tell the story. So, and, and I never, I'm not good with uh, with years, you know, what year was this, what year was that. At my age, everything was either yesterday or 20 years ago, it seems like, but um, I i think it was about five years, maybe a little bit longer than five years ago. Anyway, the, uh, <clears throat> the corner property, you know, the intersection of uh, Centennial and Cooper, that piece of property with a bank on it went up for sale. And uh, I thought, well, that's interesting, and so called up, and they had valued the property at $900,000. <laughs> like, I'm not interested <laughs> at all in that, so we just let it go. But I thought, you know, we ought to at least be praying about it. And so we asked people, can you be praying about, you know, if God wants us to have that property, would, you know, will God make a way for that to happen? And, um, and so we prayed, and it sat there for uh, probably two years a long time and uh one of our members called up the company that was holding that facility and they said yeah we're surprised you guys haven't made us an offer and uh, he said well let me get back to you he called me up and he said you know what do you think it's worth what would we be willing to pay for it i had no idea what we would even do with it and so we began to pray you know god if If you provide us that property, if you provide us that property, what would you want us to do with it? And so as we prayed that, the Spirit kind of inspired us that we should use that property as a way to bless the community. So rather than use it for our own purposes, right, to put offices down there or make it a youth center or a um, small group center or, you know, any good thing that we could have done with it, we want to use it to bless the community. We don't know what that means, but if God provided that for us, we'll use it to bless the community. And so we made an offer. I think the offer was something like $250,000. Obviously, they took it, right? We were stunned. And so we did a little fundraiser, and, and you folks who were here at that time uh, were faithful, and uh, we raised that money and paid off that building uh, in a year. It was an amazing thing. And we decided that we would name the building the meeting place. And the reason we call it the meeting place is because of our church motto. God wants to meet people. People want to meet God. Hope is a meeting place. So we'll call it the meeting place. So we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And we, you know, it was, I was so excited to go in the first time after we bought it because it's a bank. And there's a vault. And, like, there really wasn't a vault. It was kind of more like a giant safe. Um, and uh, we found a roll of dimes. <laughs> and I thought, some poor teller probably lost his job over this roll of dimes. But anyway, um, so we you know, had some guys who came in, and, and uh, just over a couple of months made that place look beautiful. And while we're trying to figure out what to do with it, we had these recovery groups calling and saying, you know, we're looking for a place to meet. Do you have a place where we can meet? And we'd say, well, you know, we've got this space right now. We're not sure what we're going to do with it, but you can use it for now. And, uh, And after a time, all of a sudden we realized that every day of the week, multiple times each day, we had a recovery group meeting down there. AA, NA, OA, all of these different recovery groups. Now, if you're in a recovery kind of setting, in a recovery group, you know what what they call it? I'm going to go to a a meeting. I've got to find a meeting. And here we have this building with this bold sign out front that says, the meeting place. And I've heard more stories, of, and it was best illustrated by one of the, one of the guys in a, in a NA group who said, I want you to tell your people that lives are being saved every week down here. Lives are being saved every week down here. Now, we've seen some people who have been going to meetings down there who have, you know, ventured up here on a weekday or on a Sunday morning to check us out. If you're here this morning because you started at uh, at, a recovery group meeting, I am so thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Do pray that you continue to find a community of faith here for you. But beyond that, that building says to the broader community, the church of Jesus Christ cares for hurting people. And it doesn't matter whether you're one of us, whether you believe like us, the church of Jesus Christ is for you. Somebody ought to say amen. Is this on? Hello? Hello? I could go on and on and on with stories of how I think we're passing the smell test. And most of the stories aren't the big things that we're doing as a congregation. It's smaller stories of... Little small groups, groups of three or four friends who know of somebody hurting in their community or their neighborhood, and they are offering to pray for them. They give um, our prayer team their name and ask for prayer for them. They're showing up with meals and all kinds of uh, different ways of serving people out in the community. And it all says something about Jesus. It's not about us. It's all about him. Jesus is the smell test that we want to pass. All right, I want to press on. Here's the other thing. It doesn't matter how clear we are, how good an example we set how well we think we're passing the smell test. There are going to be people in the world who no matter what we do, are going to think that we stink. <laughs> I don't know how to put it, right? We, They just, what we do because of what we believe, we just smell bad no matter what we do. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. And it wasn't a surprise to Paul. Um, he talked about it in another letter that he wrote the second letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, and I want to just read this section to you, and I'll explain it in just a, a second. So it's Second uh, Corinthians two fourteen through sixteen. Paul wrote this, but thank, but thank God, he made us captives, and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are, are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? So Paul is describing this kind of parade, if you will, this triumphal parade. And it helps to kind of know the history of this. So he's in, he's living in the time where Rome is the superpower, right? And so Rome had this thing called a triumph. It was a giant parade. It was like our version of a ticker tape parade that they would throw every once in a while for a particularly big victory over an enemy. Okay, it had to meet all of this kind of criteria in order for there to be this triumph parade. But when they happened, this is what it looked like. So at the front of the parade, they would march through Rome, you know, and it was a big spectacle and so forth. At the front would be the senators and the leaders of the Roman Empire. And then back behind them would be the priests from the various um, religious practices of Rome at that time. And the priests would carry these big pots of incense that were burning, and the smoke would come up, and you would smell the sweet perfume of the incense. Behind them would be the captured prisoners from the enemy that had just been defeated. So it would be their military officers and their, and their government leaders and so forth, and they would be in shackles. And then behind them would be the conquering general and uh, his officers and the army. All right, so picture that. Paul says, in this Christ's triumphal parade, to some we are the fragrance of death and doom. Who's that in the parade, right? It's these prisoners who know that they're going off to Roman prisons and probably to execution. And so that smell is obnoxious to them. It is the smell of death. But to those who are the victors, it is the sweet smell of victory. So we do what we're called to do, we live the way that Jesus called us to live. We try to be His hands, His feet, His voice to the world, knowing that for some, it's going to be life-giving and others are going to view it as the stench of death. Paul ends that little description by, who is up for such a task as this? Who's qualified for such a task? And I think the answer can be found back in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he said. <clears throat> For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. That light within us. Individually, that light within us as a community is not our good works. That light in us is the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. It's because of the Spirit's work in us and through us that we're up to this task of being the embodiment of Christ to the world. And so when we ask and invite you to get engaged, it's not because we're trying to fill slots or find volunteers. It's because we are trying to be the body of Christ where people who are a part of it will grow and together we will be salt and light to the world and pass the world's smell test. So my prayer is that if you're not already engaged in some way, that you'll make it your priority to find a way to get involved because we need you, and so does the world. Let's stand together for closing prayer. So Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you allow us the privilege of being your hands, your feet, your voice, your heart in the world. Forgive us for the ways that we fall short, God, and we know that we do. But we are grateful for the times where you use us and we say yes. And get to make a difference in the lives of men and women, boys and girls, not just here in this community of faith, but in the broader community as well. I pray, God, that what we do is a sweet aroma to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Hey, have a great week.